I actually went to two high schools. I went to Shawnee Heights, which was a suburban white school at the time. And then Highland Park, they they called Shawnee Heights scrawny whites. And they called Highland Park Highland Dark. Okay. Which was very... So this is in the language. This is in the sort of common culture in the vernacular. Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. so that's that city. Whereas here... So it just and so is that indicating a level of also racial segregation? Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. So if you look at the city of Topeka, there's like a highway that encircles it. All of our predominantly white schools that are affluent are different school districts, and they're all on the outside, outside the of the Beltway. Welcome to another episode of Around the Block, a Creek Collective podcast. This is your host, your boy, Pastor T. And today we're going to be talking with a sister that's dear to me. She's a fellow laborer in the gospel at Anacostia River Church. Her name is Ashley Davenport. Ashley serves as our neighbor outreach director. Her whole job is to teach us how to neighbor well. Many of the members of our church have moved into the community, come from other places in the country, indeed other places in the world. And so learning to root themselves in our neighborhood, to build with our neighbors, um, to incarnate the gospel uh, is critical to their discipleship and our mission uh, in the neighborhood. And so Ashley is on staff as someone with a lot of experience exegeting local cultures, getting to know people in local context, building relationships, and is uh, been called to the Lord to harvest that for us. And in this first conversation, we're going to talk with her a bit about her background and the context in which she has served and how that is um, shaping, beginning to shape, we hope, the work here in Southeast D.C. So listen in and let us know what you think. Ashley, thank you for joining us in the conversation. I appreciate you. appreciate you doing that. Tell us a little bit about where you're from. I'm from Springfield, Missouri. I know yeah. everybody's been there. They love it. It's great. It's one of the great <laughs> Is places. Is that what you heard? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Uh, yeah, I grew up in Springfield, Missouri. Because of some tragedy in our, our family situation, we moved to Topeka, Kansas for high school. So did that for high school and college in Kansas and then moved to Memphis, Tennessee Moved back to Springfield, Missouri, and now I'm here. Now in Washington, D.C. Now, in most of the, what, last 10 years, Mm -hmm. you have been in youth ministry. Absolutely. So talk with me about the context you were serving in in those different places, Topeka, Springfield. Yeah. So I started working in youth ministry at Kids Across America. Okay. Uh, Even in high school, I was working at the Boys and Girls Club. Okay. And so had all the kids. Uh, But then when I moved to Memphis— I was working in uh, a community, Memphis Athletic Ministries, MAM Ministries, and my was tasked to work with uh, urban girls and to get them to play sports. Okay. And so they called me Coach Ashley, but I didn't coach them in anything but life. (laughs) I would ask them, I would say, hey, what do you like to do? They was like, we like to eat and sleep. I was like, this is wonderful. And so I really fell in love with the ministry there and started to figure out that I could hang out with them and do life with them and actually start to disciple them 
more so in their context mm. instead of trying to convince them to come to our context. And I remember one of my coworkers said, you know, your ministry style really lends itself to young life. And he was a, a sweet um, white brother in the Lord. And I said, oh, Ben, I'm called to the hood. It's okay. <laughs> uh, and he was like, no, they have Urban Young Life. And so that kind of led me to work in Urban Young Life in Topeka. I know, shocker, we have urban <laughs> context in Topeka. And so Topeka was very much, I would say, poverty, a third white, a third black, and a third uh, Hispanic, uh, yeah. namely Mexican. And so worked there, and then I moved to Arlington, and that's a different context. A lot of immigrants um, in Arlington, over 147 countries represented, over 107 languages spoken. It was interesting what I learned there that kids who may also be wrestling with poverty because their education was so good, they had more opportunities. Mm -hmm. And so was there for a while dealing with a different demographic. And then now I'm here in Southeast DC, which is more like what I was doing in Topeka and Memphis in context as far as same struggles going on there. So a lot of different contexts. No, this, which is good because with the Creek Collective, we really want to be concrete specific mm. and, and, and or sort of uh, context specific yeah. and uh, aware of place. And place mm-hmm. has meaning Absolutely. Uh, and shapes lives in, in lots of different things that the sort of uh, from the created physical environment, mm-hmm. how we build housing or parks or things of that yeah. sort to the kinds of rhythms and cultures that also occupy place. So place is hugely important. And, that, and that's the follow up question I wanted to ask you is just to take a, a moment more to talk about what urban looks like mm-hmm. in Topeka versus Springfield versus Alexandria versus D.C. Oh, 100%. So, urban, do we like that word or not? I don't know. It uh, yeah. depends on it's, what. It's a junk drawer word yeah, in, in so okay, many ways. Yeah. Yeah. And so, in Topeka, it was different. It was very much, Topeka is a city of less than 200,000. Okay. We do have a mall. We do have Walmart. Okay. So, that's good. <laughs> but I would say we're still facing some of the things. I went to funerals multiple uh, of my kids when I was in Topeka I would say bad education systems. Uh, I worked with really great educators, but as far as resources that were given and the way that our kids were treated, the city didn't value them. So that's what I mean by bad. Uh, Parents dealing with poverty. I had a student who started selling drugs when he was in fifth grade Mm. uh, so that he could help pay rent. And just, it was really, I mean... That's kind of what it looks like there. So it's not as much city, whereas like here, you've got the metro, you've got, it's bustling. It's a lot of high rises there. There are apartment complexes that are the project, so to speak, but it's not, it looks a little different. There's Mm -hmm. not as, it's not as densely populated, but still, again, losing kids at the same rate. I Went to another funeral where one of our girls, her chest was blown open by AK-47 at a party. That is not normal. Uh, A lot of trafficking happening in Kansas. And so I felt like my ministry there, we were actively intervening in girls who were being groomed to be trafficked in high school, Mm. which I don't feel like we see that as much here. I know that it is happening, but not as known for that. And so that's kind of... Topeka and my kids there knew that they were 
considered the armpit of the city mm. or uh, actually, so the school I worked with was Highland Park. I actually went to high school in Topeka and I actually went to two high schools. I went to Shawnee Heights, which was a suburban white school at the time. And then Highland Park, they ta- they called Shawnee Heights scrawny whites and they called Highland Park Highland Dark. Okay. Which was very... So this is in the language, this is in the sort of common culture absolutely, in the vernacular. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. so that's that city. Whereas here... So it just And so is that indicating a level of also racial segregation? Oh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. So if you look at the city of Topeka, there's like a highway that encircles it. All of our predominantly white schools that are affluent are different school districts and they're all on the outside, outside the of the Beltway. Mm. And then inside the Beltway is USD 501, which is the school district that our school's a part of. There's three high schools in that. Island Park is the poorest, east side Topeka. There's Central Topeka, which is different. It's it's probably got a conglomerate of all because they have a neighborhood over there that is old, traditional, rich money and mm-hmm. is right by the Capitol. Mm-hmm. And then Topeka West, which is almost right by uh, that outskirt is going to be whiter, but I would say over the 10 years, uh, it's become more diverse because Caucasians, there's been white flight. Yeah. And so they've gone more to other neighborhoods. Yeah. There are at least two ways in which neighborhoods change, right? One is through flight mm-hmm. and the other is through gentrification, right. right? Neither of which are really valuing the place and the people who are already in the place in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. So, so you're seeing that in Topeka. Um, so talk with, talk a little bit about Arlington, yeah. uh, Arlington, Virginia, Arlington, Virginia. Also there's so similar things plague everywhere mm-hmm. and Arlington, Virginia. When I first moved, there's North Arlington and South Arlington okay. and it's all divided by route 50. And so route 50 was created. We know our highway structures that there's race and mm-hmm. racial indications in that it was created to divide minorities from whites. Mm. And so if you go to North Arlington, it's where Clarendon, Boston, the Whole Foods on every corner, the Apple stores, the Lululemons, all of that is happening in North Arlington. There's one school that's in South Arlington, and that's where all the diversity is. Now, over time, they've tried to diversify with the way that they have redistricted and rezoned. And so there's one school in the middle that is kind of between the two polars, Mm -hmm. two poles, and they have made it into a school that buses kids from the South side. Now, if you stood outside that school, I've done it, and watched when the bell rings, all the white kids go to the right and all the kids of color go to the left because they're catching buses to go back to the South side and they, I've heard it being said that um, if you go to the lunchroom, it's very segregated in that mm-hmm. way. Now, at Wakefield, which is the school on the South Side, if you go to lunchroom, whites are sitting with Latinos, they're sitting with uh, Indians who are sitting with Hispanics mm-hmm. because the school, they've grown up in their neighborhoods and have gone to school like that. Mm-hmm. And so... I always make this joke, not even, I'm not making a joke. I just think it's funny that I had a young black man who was in our programming and he was the president of the Asian club. Okay. And I just was like, <laughs> make that make sense. And so He's you, yes, you see there just 
a celebration of culture. Mm. It feels like family. Mm. They have culture days and everybody's talking about, you know, I'm from El Salvador and this is the dances we do there. Or I'm from, you know, Syria. I had one girl who was a Syrian refugee. And a lot of those kids were my heroes because Mm. hearing their stories of how they've migrated to the United States and how they are overcoming odds is Mm. just amazing to Mm. hear about. And so a lot of not only diversity and race, but also religion. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were... Christians and representing that uh, at our school, but it wasn't uncommon for me to have atheists and Muslims and Buddhists all in our event Mm. and learning how to do that cross-culturally as well. And so that's kind of what it looked like over there. So uh, as I'm sitting here listening to you, you, you're clearly exegeting the context that you've been in. You're learning the history, you're learning even how um, interstate decisions, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, are affecting the construction of community and things of that sort. Um, A lot of folks listening to the podcast are going to be church planters and folks Mm -hmm. aspiring to be a part of church planting teams. Zoom out a little bit and talk about the importance of that kind of exegetical work, sort of knowing the the history, the culture, um, the rhythms of place. How has that been formative in your own ministry? What kinds of things would you encourage others who are thinking about planting to do there? Absolutely. I have to credit that to Soup Campbell, who okay. is a lot of people know him down in Memphis. Yeah. Uh, I did downline when I was in Memphis. And one of the things that they taught us was just when you're doing urban ministry to learn your context. Mm-hmm. And so I think through that and then other things over the years, I was like, if I don't understand where I am, it's hard for me to reach who's here. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we don't realize how much history is affecting what we're seeing today. And so I remember when I moved to Arlington specifically, I just was being very observant and was saying, I noticed that there's a group of men who sit on the bus stop like six in the morning, what's going on? And asked the guy who had my job before me, he said, oh, those are usually immigrant men looking for work. Mm. And I was like, oh, wow. And so even when I specifically in Arlington was working with kids, when you are, yeah, sorry, I was thinking about another thing. I also was in another program that taught me a lot about that as well. Mm. And one of the things they taught me in that was when you're talking about Jesus to a group of kids and you're only speaking through your lens, that affects the way that they hear it. Mm. So for instance, if you realize that Jesus understands what it means kind of to be an immigrant mm. in the sense of he's not from here and mm. he comes down here and He's rejected and all those different things. If I recognize that and I, when I'm presenting the gospel and saying that, kids can see themselves reflected in the gospel and that God is for them. And so we have to know our own lenses and what we're bringing to the table and also know other people's lenses to how do I communicate that God gets it? And I might have to get it first because I don't even think we're aware Mm. of how much we impose ourselves Mm. on the gospel. And and it creates barriers to people even reaching um, Christ because, and it's unintentional a lot of times, but I think it's very important to do your work in that way.
Ashley just pointed out the importance of the different lenses, the perspectives that we bring to these um, conversations about the gospel that we bring to our communities. And it reminded me of a TED Talk given a number of years ago, 2009, by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. It's called The Danger of a Single Story. And Adichie in that TED Talk really used her skills as a novelist and something of a historian to talk about how she found her authentic self, her own voice, and how sort of reducing people and places to one single story, it, 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 it makes us risk really misunderstanding and misrepresenting uh, those people and those places. And so it's important for us to learn the multiple overlapping stories of a place so that we, we get something of the local texture, we get something of the, the nuance and the rhythm that help define people and define place. And as we move on in the conversation, Ashley's gonna talk exactly about that, about the sort of multiple stories, overlapping stories, different things that uh, make our neighborhood what it is. And so I wanna encourage you to, to lean into that a bit and to lean into that in your own context um, and avoid the danger of a single story. So most recently, last August, mm -hmm. uh, you came to Washington, D.C. So, I mean, yeah. I was here before, you, you but were, I came on you staff. Were, so you were worshiping with us yes. here, working in Arlington. Yes. Came on staff with us at the church. Um, what neighborhood are you in now? Tell us about your neighborhood now. Yeah, so I'm in Southeast D.C., which is funny because, again, you have similar thing, except for now instead of highways, we're talking about a river mm -hmm. that separates a city. Uh, if you were to look at... Washington, D.C. on a map, you kind of have this weird triangle. Like a diamond. Okay, yeah. diamond. We'll like take that. <laughs> <laughs> and you get this part that's kind of cut off by a river, mm. and that's known as the South Side, which historically has carried some things with it. And again, as you read the historical things, oh, when slaves were being freed uh, and were fleeing to D.C., they created this place on the South Side mm. for blacks to live. Mm rich in history. It's so, it, we still feel it today. I mean, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but- say, But it's the, we, the, it's the creek collector, okay. say what you want to say. Well, we used to know that <laughs> DC was known as Chocolate City. That's right. Now people call it Mulatto City. Uh, but they say, you know, the South Side is still Chocolate City. That's exactly right. Go-go's going on and that's all those it. different things. And so even here, just rich place with history. I think that one story is commonly told of Southeast DC, but if you actually spend time here, if you were like, hey, what kind of people are in Southeast D.C.? I'm like, we've got everything from poverty to millionaires. Mm -hmm. There are actually mansions in Southeast D.C. Mm -hmm. Now, they might hear gunshots, but there are still very affluent mm -hmm. houses that are here. And so I think our community has everything from being, I think the common story that's told is, oh, it's plagued with drugs and poverty and all those things. Yes. But I think the other story, we have communities that are the older saints that have been the gatekeepers that were here. I have a neighbor who she's been here for 70 years. Her family has owned that same house. And the story that's often told, that's not her. Like they're the matriarchs and mm -hmm. patriarchs of the neighborhood that mm -hmm. are raising 
the generations that are theirs and not theirs, mm-hmm. you know, walking down the street and know everybody by name. And so, and then I think we also have in our city, let's say new up and coming money. You got a lot of young, usually black mm-hmm. couples that are coming to buy their first house in mm-hmm. Southeast DC. And so I feel like I'm observing this change of the guard as that older generation, unfortunately is going on mm-hmm. to glory. Uh, hopefully, uh, their houses are being bought off. Now, there are people who are trying to gentrify the city as well. I mean, we know that I see a lot more whites in the neighborhood. And there are some people who are here, like our church, who are here that love the community and are doing the work. And there are some people who are here for selfish gain. And love the land, not necessarily the people. Yeah, and they see that, oh, this is going to be the city. We can push Southeast out to Temple Hills, Maryland and push out. But I think... You have all of that going on in Ward 7 and 8. Yeah. Now, your particular responsibilities here have to do with neighbor outreach, sort of connecting our neighbors to members of the church and vice versa and helping us to sort of uh, strategize and think about um, engaging more intentionally and relationally Mm -hmm. um, our our neighbors because we are here for the people who are already here. Yeah. Right. how are you approaching that? How does how does your life as in in youth ministry with young life and ma'am, et cetera, how do those things inform now doing that work inside of a church, inside of a seven year old church plant? Um, what are you seeing? What are you learning? What do we do well? What do we not do so well? Um, all of the above. Yeah. So one thing that I'll always give credit for my time in young life is that their model is an incarnational witness and incarnational ministry. We would say, you know, we go to the furthest out kid. Uh, we earn the right to be heard, mm. which I think is a huge point mm. of actually earning the right. I think sometimes we can move into communities or approach people like, you have to listen to me. Mm. I don't know you. Mm. <laughs> so where, why, you, where you come from? Right. You're why not you from here. here. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, why should I talk to you? Um, you earn the right to be heard. You tell them the greatest story they ever told the gospel, and then you love them regardless Mm. of their response. I think that one of the things I remember when I was working in Topeka is I had a parent come up to me and was like, where's Young Life for us? And I was like, that should be the local church. Mm. And unfortunately, when it comes to churches too often, the case is we expect people to come to us. Mm. If we build it, they'll come. Mm. And the reality is, is we need people to go to to where they're at and love them regardless of their response. I think that's another thing that I think the church, we haven't gotten right all the time. We are very transactional with people and we are kind of, if you get saved, then I will love you. Mm. That's not the gospel. Mm. And that's not how the Lord has told us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so when I... I've approached this job. I've, I've brought in a lot of that with me of how do we actually get a church to do that mm-hmm. in regards to outreach? And so my first year, which I'm still in, what are, what are we like <laughs> eight months in is a lot of learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know anything. I'm new to the neighborhood. I'm new to all these different things. So it's a lot of putting my ear to the ground mm-hmm. of who runs this neighborhood, who, what's going on here. And it's a lot of getting to know people. And one of the things that I think ARC has done well is we have Coffee and Combo, which 
we've been doing for years now. And for those of you who don't know Coffee and Convo, we go every Monday morning outside of a methadone clinic and we set up and we have a big sign that says, how can we pray for you? Mm. And we've got tracks and we've got water. Usually, well, coffee and combo used yeah. to be coffee, to but be you know, pandemic, COVID, pandemic, pandemic, we don't want to make it coffee. Bottled. So, <laughs> you know, water, water and combo. Um, a lady came by yesterday and somebody was trying to tell her about the church. And she was like, I know where y'all at. Y'all been here for years. <laughs> and so I think there's something about learn, earning street cred in that way. Mm. Consistency is the name mm. of the game. That's right. And it's the slow consistent work yeah. that that makes it be done. And so I've not only, I think I would say I'm listening in a couple different spheres. I'm, I'm listening to what's and observing what's going on in the community, mm. but I'm also listening and observing what's going on with our members that live in the community. Mm. And, you know, as we've moved in, some of us have parachuted in. What are, what's been great? What's not been great? What do you wish you would have known mm-hmm. before you've come in right now? Uh, I don't even know if you know this, but I'm starting <laughs> a uh, a thing with one of our brothers who wants to move in the neighborhood of like a you know some of it community one on one. We're actually going to meet on Friday of hey, tell me what I should know as I'm moving in here, and so building out that kind of curriculum. Which I say you're going to be my guinea pig. Tell me what made sense, what didn't make sense. Uh, so listening to our 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 people, but also listening to the uh, what is the word nonprofits that are already here mm-hmm. and. It's very arrogant to assume that you're going to come in and fix something there, that a community that's already working. And I think sometimes as I think about church planners, like it's easy to come in and be like, here I come to save the day. Humble yourself. Mm. Like Mm. you, the Lord has already done the work. And for us to think that he doesn't have a remnant here already Mm. would be very arrogant. And so I think just coming in with a posture of, Lord, I'm just going to observe what is and honor what's already happening and see what what hole you want us to plug. So Mm. people who would ask me about a job, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I'm like, I don't really know exactly what this will look like when I get there. Because yes, I love youth ministry. But if you know Southeast D.C., we've got a lot of great youth ministries already happening. We got the House D.C., we got the Dream Center, and a lot of resources have been poured into the young people. Now, is there room for more? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But that might not be exactly where I need to spend most of my efforts. There are some other things going on as well. And so I think I'm just learning a lot of that before I propose answers or strategies. So if I I were sort of summarizing what I'm hearing from you uh, in this conversation, I'm hearing you say, learn, mm-hmm. learn the history and the culture. Come on, pasteurize it. Come on. All right. Listen, listen, listen wide, listen long. Yes. And love regardless. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. So learn. Three L's. Come on. It's got, we got to be able to preach yes. it, right? You got to hey, be able to preach it. Look, that ain't my gift. <laughs> That's your gift. No, you but do that. You said it, but you said it so well. Um, I wonder if you'll stick around and have another conversation with me. Sure. All right. Thanks for chopping it there. Awesome. Well, that's how we bottom line this first conversation with our sister Ashley Davenport. It's the church planners' task, privilege really, to learn about their context, to do that by doing a lot of listening. Uh, When you think you have listened enough, chances are you're just beginning. Uh, And to love people, to love people without qualification, 
um, learn, listen, love. The planter who does that, the church member who does that, the, the person who's moving into a new neighborhood who does that with humility, uh, without some pretense to being the savior or something like that. Um, the person who learns, listens, and loves has a good chance of entering into the lives and the hearts of people where they can plant the gospel and by God's grace, see a harvest. May that be the case uh, with Creek Collective Churches, with all of God's churches, with plants and established churches. May we know our communities in this way. God bless. Thank you for joining Around the Block, a Creek Collective podcast with your boy, Pastor T. Talk to you next time. Holland.